And we know, don't we? We know because we read it in Scripture that God desires that every single person be saved. That every single person comes to know the truth and love the truth. Last week then, uh, we talked about, we began uh, looking at Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. And we talked about some past progress that they had made. And we said that when things are difficult, we should look back and take hope for the future from seeing how God has worked in us and through us and with us. And that the ultimate point that we look back to, to draw hope for today and strength for tomorrow, is the cross and that empty tomb. The very things that we're going to gather in a couple of weeks to commemorate and to celebrate. And as I said, after the message today, we're going to talk about Easter a little bit. And there is something for every single one of you to do for Easter. This is not just for a few. This is for every single person. So please, please, please stay with us right until the end uh, today. This week we've moved from the past to the present. We've gone past progress. Now we're talking about present error. Things which that uh, for the Thessalonians were, were being wrongly taught and therefore wrongly believed. And Paul kind of jumps in and corrects what's wrong and then gives them a bit of a remedy as well. But things which are wrongly believed can have a big, big, big impact on our lives, can't they? I read a story this week uh, about a bishop uh, about a hundred years ago. And when he was preaching from his pulpit and in the, 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 the Christian magazine that he edited, he came out and he made this big, bold statement. And he said that flying was against the will of God and, uh, and therefore impossible. And this bishop had two sons uh, whose names were Orville and Wilbur, the Wright brothers, who are generally credited with inventing, building, and flying the world's first successful motor-operated airplane. So this bishop was so wrong but he was so sure of himself. He was very sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And wrongly believing things can have a big impact on how we see the world around us. For Bishop Wright then, his horizons were literally as far as he could see, and that was that. Because of the sincere but wrong beliefs that he held, his world looked very, very different. One of the very challenging things about this particular bit of text, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12, is that part of it is obviously a supplement to what Paul has uh, told them face to face and with words. And we don't know what Paul said, do we? Because you weren't there and I wasn't there. And he doesn't say, as I said to you, and then... He refers to the fact that he told them some stuff, but he doesn't tell us exactly what he told them. But it becomes clear enough from the context and from knowing what we do about Paul and stuff that he wrote to other groups, we can piece together what 
he is saying. So first up then, Paul gets straight to the point and he addresses the big present error for the Thessalonians, which was what they thought and what they were taught about the return of Jesus. They were told and taught, hey, look, it's already happened. You've missed it. He's been and he's gone, so you can probably just get back to doing whatever you want to do, and you can come to this temple with me, and you can sacrifice this with me, and you can just forget it now, because he's been and gone. So let's get back to what we, what we know. So, as Dominic read for us this morning, let's read together verses 1 to 5. Now, regarding the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to be with him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily shaken from your composure or disturbed by any kind of spirit or message or letter allegedly from us to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not arrive until the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. And as a result, he takes his seat in God's temple, displaying himself as God. Surely you recall that I used to tell you these things while I was still with you. So in his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul told them that the day of the Lord, this season, this period of time where God will rapidly advance his plans for his creation, the day of the Lord would come as a thief in the night, unexpectedly, without warning. So some people, now that Paul has gone, some people were telling the Thessalonians, you've missed it. He's been and he's gone. He's already come you're obviously not part of what he was coming back to do, so you can probably just forget all that Jesus stuff. But Paul says, no, the day of the Lord is not already here. Because if it were, certain things would have happened. And there would be certain people in certain positions, they'd be present. Their confusion, the confusion of the Thessalonians, arose because, very, very simply, they could not, distinguished. They didn't know the difference between what they were living through right now from what Scripture teaches the day of the Lord would be like. Now, we've said this before, and it's still very, very true. They needed to be able, and we need to be able now, to look at the world around us. We need to be able to look at the world through the lens of the word. And think, well, do you know what? What we're living through now is really tough. And no, none of us would have chosen these circumstances, would we, for the last 12 months. But this is not what God says will happen before Jesus returns, before the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ, his physical presence returning and our being gathered to be with him, us being assembled with him. So Paul says, don't be easily shaken from your composure or disturbed by any kind of spirit or message or letter allegedly from us that says that the day of the Lord is already here. Don't be shaken. Don't be disturbed. He's, he's talking specifically about your mind, your composure, your settled, steady state. Don't let that be shaken. 
by anything or anyone pretending to be legitimate, Paul says from us, uh, that tells you that the day of the Lord is already here. So let's be straight and let's call this what it is. This is wrong, Paul is saying. The day of the Lord is not already here. And Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that as clearly as possible. You have not missed it. It is still to come. It's not happened without you. Please don't feel like you've missed the boat and it's gone. So you might as well just give up on this Jesus stuff and slide back into your old lives. Let no one deceive you in any way, Paul is saying. A Bible scholar called Thomas Constable wrote that all Christians who've gone from the Thessalonians to you and me now, all Christians can be misled and deceived by impressive personalities and spectacular appeals. The antidote to poisonous heresy is a good, strong dose of the truth which Paul proceeded, Paul is about to administer. And they're very strong words, aren't they? Everyone all of us can be misled by impressive-looking people and spectacular appeals. Lots of pizzazz and production value can be poisonous, is what Paul and then Thomas Constable are saying. We can all be won over by impressive-looking people and spectacular appeals, but it can be misleading and deceiving, is what Paul is saying. And as we just read, as I just said, the way to fight this is with the truth, the revealed truth of God's Word. Now, I'm convinced here because of who he was and how he was, being a, a serious scholar of Scripture, that when Paul says, surely you recall that I used to tell you these things when I was still with you, that he is referring to his teaching of Scripture to the Thessalonians, what we would call the Old Testament, convinced here that what he, when he says, surely you recall, I used to tell you about this stuff, he says, I used to, t I taught you what we would call the Old Testament, you know what is coming before Jesus comes. So when people tell you this or that, if it doesn't match with the revealed truth of God's Word, it's wrong. Whatever people name or claim and try and convince you of that they are so sure of that, that God is just saying to me this, this, this. Or I believe that God wants that, that, that. If that doesn't match with the revealed truth of God's word, it's wrong. So when the Thessalonians were being told, look, this has already happened. You've missed it. He's been and he's gone. You're obviously not part of his plans. Paul points very, very strongly to some Old Testament passages. And he explains and he expands and he says, no, it hasn't already happened. Don't let worldly winning looking people or superficially spiritual looking people try and convince you of some stuff that doesn't match God's revealed word. There's some stuff, Paul says, that will happen before Jesus comes back. There's a rebellion and a revealing. 
before Jesus comes back, there is a rebellion and a revealing. One of the big, major things that he talks about is this rebellion. Uh, maybe your Bible says the falling away or the apostasy. Um, very, very simply, it's a big revolt. It's a departure. It's an abandoning of, of something that you used to believe and, and hold is true. It's turning your back on that. So Paul is saying, before Jesus comes back, sadly, there will be masses of people turning their back on the faith that they claimed to have. Masses of people will depart from the truth that God has revealed in His Word. And a rejection, there will be a mass rejection of the Savior that the revealed truth of His Word points us to. Sadly, this is not a new and novel idea. This wasn't a new and novel idea for the Thessalonians and at this time. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, his kind of younger ministry partner who, he, when they traveled together, he left him in Ephesus to oversee the church there. And he wrote to Timothy and he said, Now, the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times, some will desert the faith and occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings influenced by the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. So strong. And then he wrote another letter to Timothy, and he says, Understand this. In the last days, difficult times will come. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power. So avoid people like this. That was a long and strong list, wasn't it? The kind of people that are going to try and influence the Thessalonians. And also you as well. Peter also wrote to a group of suffering saints. And he said, false teachers will infiltrate your midst, the church, the body. And they'll infiltrate your midst. They'll try and get involved in your lives with destructive heresies. To the point of even denying the master who bought them. So look, this idea of people teaching for their own benefit, te uh, people teaching uh, towards their own goals and targets and sort of ambitions and agendas is not a new uh, thing. It wasn't a new and, and, and specific and, and isolated thing to the Thessalonians. And sadly, again, it's not something that's confined to the past. There are plenty of people around who blatantly teach what contradicts the revealed Word of God and therefore the Savior that it all points to. So this is going to get worse, Paul says. Look, the day of the Lord's not come because this, this, and this have not happened, and this, this, and this are actually going to make things worse. There's going to be this rebellion, this mass turning away from the faith that people claimed to have. And then this man of lawlessness is revealed, this son of destruction. Loads and loads and loads of interesting opinions about this man of lawlessness. But very plainly, very simply, Paul refers to a single real male. And there's nothing in the context or his language that 
that tells us otherwise. Daniel also, in chapters 9 and 11 of the book of Daniel, talks about a single individual person that's going to do what Paul is talking about. And so did Jesus in John chapter 5. So this man of lawlessness, after the rebellion, is going to be this revealing, the revealing of a man of lawlessness, a literal man who will do certain things before Jesus comes back. And here is where Scripture teaching Paul is using revealed, the revealed truth of God's Word to counter some of these outright fallacious heresies, these things that are just made up and go against the revealed truth of God's Word. He's talking about this, this son of destruction. Maybe your Bible says son of perdition. Uh, and as he's doing it, he brings out lots of images from the books of Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. So the revealing of this, this, this man of lawlessness, this son of destruction, he's going to oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship. He's going to take a seat in God's temple. Now, what Paul is saying is not like in the grounds, you know, maybe on the the compound of the temple. He means he's going to go into the holy of holies, the holiest place, and sit down, claim it as his own, which is an explicit claim to be God. And then he's going to display himself as God. This is the ultimate blasphemy. This is the ultimate against God thing that anybody could do, claim to be God. This is the abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about and that Jesus referenced as well. So these things are going to happen before Jesus comes back. So it's impossible for him to have come back already because first, this, this, and this are going to happen. And then Paul says, surely, surely you remember that I told you this stuff when we were together. Our equivalent now would be saying, surely, You've read about this in your Bible, haven't you? No, Jesus can't have come back yet because this, this, and this haven't happened. Surely, you've read about it in your Bibles. So he's saying, no, look, it's not already happened. You've not missed out. There's no need to turn you back on your faith and just kind of slide back into your old life that just wasn't good. He's taken scripture, he's taken God's revealed word, and he's shown the Thessalonians the truth of what is going on for them. Yeah, it's really difficult. What you're going through now is so tough. But it is not what happens before Jesus returns. Therefore, this is the error that you're living in. If you believe that this is what happens before Jesus comes, no, you're in present error. Then he talks about some uncommon sense. What do we do here then? So we've believed something or we've been uh, deceived by something that's actually not true. Uh, this is why, because this is a scripture that shows us that it's not true. What do, we, what do we do with it then? What do we do? What's the uncommon sense? How do we negotiate this? So let's read again verses 6 to 12. And so you know what holds him back so that he will be revealed in his own time. For the hidden power of lawlessness is already at work. However, the one who holds him back will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, 
whom the Lord will destroy by the breath of his mouth and wipe out by the manifestation of his arrival. The arrival of the lawless one will be by Satan's working with all kinds of miracles and signs and false wonders and with every kind of evil deception directed against those who are perishing because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. Consequently, God sends on them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. And so all of them who have not believed the truth but have delighted in evil will be condemned. So Paul says, look, something, someone is holding back the rebellion, the revealing, the pinnacle of lawlessness that we just talked about. Can't be a person, can't be a governmental system. The only, the only, uh, the only person, the only someone this can be to hold back evil to this degree is God himself, God the Holy Spirit. And this is also where you and me start to come in, the same Holy Spirit that is holding back the uh, rebellion, that's that's rebellion and revealing mixed together, the same Holy Spirit that is holding back and preventing the rebellion and the revealing until God's perfect timing says it's time, that same Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you have put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. In another of his letters, Paul writes, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And again, he writes, we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And again, Paul says, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If we just kind of pause and think about that, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit is holding back this rebellion and this revealing and he dwells in you if you are a born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that you've got your part to play in all of this. We've got a very, very important supporting role. We're filled with the Spirit for a reason. You don't fill up an aeroplane with jet fuel and leave it sat on the tarmac, do you? Champion athletes don't eat like champion athletes and then jump on the sofa and watch TV. The Holy Spirit dwells in you for you to get out there to live your Christian life, to join with God, to partner with God in the restraining and the, and, and, and the rebellion until he says it's time. It's by his power and through your person. The same spirit that raised, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and it is for a purpose. It is for you to get out there and live your Christian life. So the peak of all of this stuff hasn't happened yet, Paul says. But let's not get complacent and think that everything's rosy. We're just going to Christianize the whole world until Jesus returns. Because we read, the hidden power of lawlessness is already at work. So it's not just going to get better and better and better and better. It's actually going to get worse and worse and worse. The battle has already begun. And you're in it, whether you want to be or not. 
And when the Lord allows it to happen in accordance with His perfect plans and timing, the arrival of the lawless one will be by Satan's working with all kinds of miracles and signs and false wonders. And with every kind of evil deception directed against those who are perishing because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. So Paul here gives a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a, a glimpse, a bit of a preview of what this guy is particularly going to be like. It's going to come with satanic power. It's going to come by Satan's working. It's going to come doing miracles and signs and false wonders. It's going to be very deceiving, every kind of evil deception. And it's all going to be directed towards and against those who are perishing, who've found no place in their heart for the truth, so as to be saved. This lawless one will, in short, very, very simply, perform such powerful miracles that everybody's going to notice. Everybody's going to see, whoa, this guy's different, special. You can read about a couple of them in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. But believers who know the Word of God will know that this is not the Lord Himself. And that the, the last point in that short passage, the last point in verse 10 is so important for us. This man of lawlessness is going to come, he's going to do all this evil trickery and deceiving and stuff like that, and it'll be directed against those who are perishing because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. There is a way to avoid this. There is a way to win this battle, and it's not you it's not yourself. It's not searching deep within yourself to find the strength to carry on when things are going wrong. It's not getting in touch with the universe and channeling its power into your life. It's not covering all your bases and praying to every kind of so-called God that you can find. Paul writes, look, the targets, the people that this satanic deception is going to come against... I love how he wrote this. Are those people who have not loved the truth, those that didn't accept into their lives the love of the truth, and they didn't find salvation there. Love the truth. The consequence we see, don't we? The consequence of believing and loving the truth is your salvation. Our response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, needs to be a matter not only of our heads. Do we get it? Do we understand it? But it needs to be a matter of the heart. Do we love it? It's accepting it and adhering to it. It's, it's not just saying it, but sticking to it. It's doing what you declare, and it's, it's loving in action and, and not just word. Because really simply, we act on what we believe and we, we act on what we believe, what we claim we believe, don't we? Like when I'm making a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, I believe, I truly believe and I've accepted as true 
that if I hold my hand over the kettle when it's boiling, that's really going to hurt. So I don't do it. I believe that my seatbelt in the car would save my life if I had a car accident, so I wear it. And we act on what we truly believe, what we've accepted as truth, not what we claim to understand and, and be going along with, what we've really accepted as truth, what we find space for in our hearts, Paul's saying, is what we're going to act on. And the consequence of believing and loving the truth is salvation. The truth is that God loves you and he wants to be in right relationship with you, but your sin is a barrier to that, but he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to pay the price for and remove the barrier of your sin. And by believing in his son, in Jesus, that you can be restored to right relationship with him. And that, that restoration is going to be eternal. You will live eternally with God in his presence. And we know, don't we? We know because we read it in Scripture that God desires that every single person be saved. That every single person comes to know the truth and love the truth. But when people refuse to accept the truth, God lets them pursue. God lets them experience the consequences of that. There is no forced love here. There's no coercion. That's the good news. Jesus died for the consequences of your sin. If you believe that, you'll be restored to right relationship with God. But we read, all of them who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in evil, will be condemned. So what is this part of the letter teaching the Thessalonians? Well, contrary to what they'd been told, let no one deceive you in any way, Paul writes. The day of the Lord has not come yet. There are things that need to happen before we get there. The believers in Thessalonica were living in a time that they didn't fully understand, and I'm sure that we can identify with that. And they were doing their very best to keep living lives of faith through very difficult times. They needed to be mindful of the world around them. They needed to pay attention to what was going on. They needed to be actively engaged in their own world, so to speak. But they needed, whilst they were doing that, to be constantly running everything through the filter and the lens of Scripture, the revealed truth of God's word because if their diligence dropped and they kind of uh, you know well, well yeah, it's fine he's told me that I guess I believe if their diligence dropped then they were leaving themselves open to being deceived and misled and the same is true for me and you no we are not the Thessalonians <laughs> that's not what I'm saying we're not facing the very same problems but just like last week where our uncommon sense was to look back in order to take strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow. What we need to do now is the same thing. What you and me needs to do now, today, is the exact same thing that the Thessalonians needed to do then. The uncommon sense 
that we need to have is to see what is going on around us. Yes, pay attention to what's going on around you. Look at the world through the lens of the word. And sadly, that is an uncommon sense. And as Paul has said, things are only going to get worse. So our need to look at the world through the lens of the word is only going to get stronger. Otherwise, as things get weirder and weirder around you, like the Thessalonians, you may well be deceived and misled into thinking that, oh my gosh, this is it. It's happening now. Their past progress, the Thessalonians' past progress, didn't stop them from running into present error. And we need to be very, very careful of the same too. If we get too comfortable, if we think we've arrived in our faith and our knowledge of God's word, become routined, bit complacent, our diligence drops and we leave ourselves open to being misled and deceived. Then we find ourselves taking in messages from places and people that we've got no business paying attention to. For the Thessalonians, it was this big idea that Jesus has already come back. You've missed it, so you can probably just drop this whole Jesus thing. And for you and for me, it can be all sorts of things. You know, people, well, Jesus, yeah, good guy, but, you know, good teacher, but not God. Uh, no, he can't save me. Did he really, you know, did he really die? Is that stuff true? Are you sure that he rose? Why is that important to you anyway? We're all just on the same path. We're just calling things by different names. Or maybe somebody will tell you, well, you know, I don't even, what do I even need saving from? I'm a pretty good person. I've never done this or I'm, I'm, I'm a nicer guy than that. But I don't think sin is a big deal. Paul has opened and explained scripture here to the Thessalonians. And no doubt did the same in person. The uncommon sense he wants them to have and that they need to have as believers in a difficult spot and that you and I must have is to run everything in our lives through the revealed truth of God's word. It has to be the authoritative guide for our lives. It has to inform us of how we view the world around us. It has to be where we turn for encouragement, for answers, and for hope. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 5 that all of Scripture points to Him. And that by coming to Him, we will have life. We will be saved. This is what Paul is really saying when he is urging the Thessalonians to make room in their hearts for the truth and so be saved. If their hearts were full of, of God's revealed truth, there'd be no room for deception. If your heart and your world is full of the word, there's no room for false teaching. There's no, wrong, there's no room for error. There's no room for the wrong stuff. Everything that Paul has, has written about here and explained is sure to come. But there is a way to be saved, he says. There is a way to avoid the anguish that comes with condemnation. There is a way to have the consequences of your sin erased. 
accept the love of the truth into your life. Accept who Jesus is, what he did, and then what this means for you. The uncommon sense then that we need to have is to accept the love of the truth and find salvation.